0: listening to episode 254 of sci-fi tv rewatch my name is dave and i'm joined as always by my co-host wayne as we continue our look at joss whedon's dollhouse and if we sound a little different it's because this is the morning podcast apocalypse (laughs) and if i caused it i get to name it there you go yeah so this is your second day of freedom right today's yeah. Thursday. We're recording a little later this week, so we''ll do our best to get this out on time
1: but uh yeah, so you're heading out, hitting the museums today, yeah, it seems like now we're trying to come up with uh summer activities before the kids go to uh go to camp and everything and um, so you know, my one son, who normally we would be in full cross swing now, but he Broke his wrist in the first lacrosse tournament So we've shipped him off for a week In Colorado with my sister And then the, my oldest is A counselor at camp this year So he's already gone for the summer And then the, the girls in a couple of days Are going to go for their four weeks At camp so uh, we're trying to keep the, the we're only down to the two girls Right now we're trying to keep them from uh, You know off each other's throats uh, By enlightening their minds There you go Alright sounds good All right. Well, before we begin,
0: we want to remind you, as always, love to hear from you. Emails to SciFiTVRewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. Record your own audio clip if you'd like. Send us the MP3 as an attachment. Tweet us at SciFiTVRewatch or consider joining the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. All right. So I'm going to go my tip of the week first. I don't know how much time you spend on the Science Channel, and I assume your cable system has it. But my show is BattleBots. Oh, have you okay. ever seen yes, it? Yes, I
1: have actually. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, I love this the show. If you cool. don't know, if you don't know BattleBots, they're one-on-one cage matches between robots that are fitted with defensive armor various types of weaponry now these are not humanoid robots these are like almost like vehicle robots and they put them in a cage and they go at it for three minutes and some of them will have flamethrowers grinding saws hammers and the idea is to ultimately qualify for the round of 16 so you get to see the same robots over and over but Again, you know, in this day and age, and you know, you and I both know this from, from school, that the teaching of robotics is becoming a huge thing. And certainly a lot of our students are involved with it.
1: Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's cool because, uh, I mean, I think it was last year, I, I believe, where the, uh, the robotics team built a robot that would throw foul shots, would shoot foul shots. Cool. It was just yeah. really, uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I mean I know at
0: the beginning of my career the Rube Goldberg machines were the big thing and and certainly those are still cooled even to this day but now with just the you know we're the age of robotics yeah. and and of course uh being sci-fi fans that we are we hope they're careful because we don't want the next Skynet
1: well to occur Yeah right yeah we see uh once start messing around with technology and perfecting it. And, uh, you know, like if science fiction television has taught us nothing else, it's that uh, the pursuit of technological advance without any kind of thought as to, you know, the, 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 how this technology will be used can be very dangerous, as the Rossum Corporation demonstrates to us. Yep. And if you haven't seen
0: Wayne's post on the Facebook group, Ditch the Tech, Check it out, because
1: this is for real. I, I, I hope everyone realizes that I'm not like a uh, Luddite that, that, you know, like Ditch the Tech is, you know, that was like from Epitaph 1, right? Yes. And then they just had these signs up around school, and I'm like, hey, they want people to ditch the tech, kind of thing. So anyway. Bye. Uh, all right, what do you got? My pick of the week is the final episode of Sense8. Which I can't remember. Oh, what it's the, the the movie, right? Yeah. It, yep. Yep. The the it was a movie. It was the uh, the last. You know, they, they Netflix has attached it to um, season two as an episode twelve, I believe. I think it is so. And you know, it, it has as we see. You know, it's funny that we're talking about Dollhouse pretty much at the same time as the sense finale came out. Because both of them, it, you know, even if you didn't know, you could probably watch it and say, you know what, this feels like a story that, you know, maybe, you know, they're wrapping it up kind of quickly, you know, that they didn't want to have to, you know, tie up or loose ends uh, so soon, and you could tell that there's elements that really maybe could have been developed more, but they just, you know, on a practical matter, did not have the time to do so. But on the other hand, uh, like this episode of Dollhouse as well, I think it it does a great job of kind of encapsulating the the show as a whole and and wrapping it up, and you know, giving us kind of that. Even though this wasn't you know the last for Dollhouse, um, but it's certainly the last one kind of in in this time period right before we jump to the future with epitaph two but the you know and you sensei uh the part the parts i really loved about it was just this kind of joy of humanity and this kind of this idea of love that you know kind of goes through even though there's like a lot of violence and a lot of danger uh it boils down to this you know close bond between these eight people and uh you know they've, they finished very strong with that you know they had a wedding at the end and, and of course the uh the orgy scene that seems to be in you know at least one a season for for sense eight uh that is not done you know in a gratuitous manner but in a way kind of a celebration of life and so it was good i liked it cool all right i'll have to check
0: it out you know as i said i i got bogged down and never really got out of uh early season 1 but it's still on my radar so it, at some point but the, I think the thing we really have to appreciate is the fact that these shows and you could argue it started with Firefly that they're given a movie to tie things up after they've been canceled uh you know really with without a whole lot of warning so you know hopefully we'll see this continue although I guess ideally we like to see these shows actually continue but right if they're if they're not going to at least give them a chance to tie things up so all right well we're going to talk about dollhouse episode 12 of season two the hollow men written by michelle Fazekas, tara butters and tracy belomo and the team of Fazekas butters they're, they're a lot in the genre field they wrote episode 202 instinct This one was directed by Terrence O'Hara, and it aired January 15th, 2010. You mentioned the timeline, and this one establishes a more concrete timeline for Caroline, at least, that she's been in the dollhouse as a doll for two years after committing, I guess it's her second terrorist act. See, that's what's not clear to me. I mean, we talked about when she blew up the animal testing site and her boyfriend was we believe killed in that one and i guess i thought that was the one event that led her to the dollhouse to avoid
1: prosecution but as you point out she got away from that one right right so that is the event that put her on their radar exactly and then the one with oh what's the with bennett with bennett right that's where they they got her
0: right right and and whether she was actually on the law enforcement radar we don't know she may have just simply been being held by rossum that said it really doesn't matter the the fact is they had her at that point
1: right which uh, I say she was like a enrolled it's, well, I don't I guess we don't know if she was enrolled in college, but she's certainly wandering around the college where Bennett is. So, you know, it seems like she's not necessarily on the radar of, you know, uh standard law enforcement.
0: Right, not at that point. And you know, I, I think we have to assume that she was a legitimate and i'm making air quotes college student at that point because she, as she tells bennett in you know those earlier scenes she really didn't know what she was studying but she knew she wanted to be in the college atmosphere perhaps because of the radical nature of many college students and mm-hmm. that seemed to be her calling sure but you mentioned uh her being put on Rossum's radar, obviously Rossum is now on her radar. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly after the animal testing facility bombing. But the other thing we, we get in this episode is the pervasive nature of Rossum because Boyd points out to her about the medical testing revealing something special about her on the microscopic level. And what he's letting out there is that we know everything about everybody if you've had a blood test we know about it and it got me to thinking what about the others you know the the other dolls that are there anthony and priya were they chosen because something showed up on their testing or were they just warm bodies if you will
1: yeah you know that's that's a good question um you know because we don't Really, necessarily know how Anthony got there, but certainly Priya found herself wrapped up in Rossum much the same way Caroline did, you know, like by, um, you know, crossing Rossum itself. Exactly. And with Anthony, you
0: know, he was part of their super soldier program. So uh, I guess, you know, in, in terms of him being broken as a soldier broken emotionally because of his experience in afghanistan i guess that put him on rossum's radar and certainly their connection with the department of defense led him there so i guess in that sense he was special because he fit a profile of somebody they needed for their studies
1: yeah yeah
0: so very well all right now is topher responsible for the end of the world i mean that's certainly something that comes up here and, and, and i love the scenes with adele where she tries to assuage his guilt i'm the one that turned it over to harding and he tells her yeah you gave him a piece of paper but
1: i created it right um <clears throat> you know in, insofar as you know what we have you know said earlier in this podcast uh today earlier in earlier episodes also, is that, you know, Topher's headlong pursuit of knowledge is, you know, problematic here. You know, he doesn't, before he didn't think about the consequences of what he was doing. You know, he just thought, hey, this is is a good thing. You know, like, oh, I can do this, so I'm going to do it. You know, and instead of saying, I can do this, but should I do this?
0: Well, I guess on the one hand, I agree with you. But then do we hold Boeing responsible because it was their plane? I don't know if it was Boeing or not, but do we hold them responsible because their plane dropped the bomb? Well, you know, I mean,
1: I mean, no, but maybe the people who made the bomb, you know, like Boeing wasn't like meant to you know they didn't build airplanes to drop nuclear bombs but Tofer created this thing to do what it does you know it's not like he was creating it for some other purpose and accidentally discovered that it could wipe people like he created it to be able to wipe people right but his intentions
0: were purer certainly than Boyd's oh yeah and the rest of
1: the well a- absolutely of but, but yeah. that's you know the, the thing is that doesn't excuse him well i I, i'm not necessarily condemning him per se but i guess i kind of am but you know it's just the idea of not thinking of the consequences of or the implications of what you're doing and just doing it for the sake of doing it you know okay which brings up the question
0: what did boyd and rossum really think was going to happen i mean what did they hope to accomplish with this dollhouse program i mean are they trying to establish a new world order with a significantly reduced population i i just don't understand what they're trying to do because boyd seems to know full well what the technology is going to do and we've identified caroline farrell as the savior of mankind well the only reason we need a savior is because of you
1: Right. Yeah. And and this is where we get into the, um, you know, the premature last episode effect, right? Because I think there's just things that clearly they were hoping they could develop over a longer period of time. And we could get a clear focus of what, yeah, what is Rossum's deal? Because we see they bring about basically the end of everything. They bring about some kind of apocalypse is that what they meant to do right is or was that an accidental outcome of whatever their plans were right because Boyd certainly seems to be totally aware of
0: what Topher's technology will allow Rossum to do and has apparently foreseen the implications yet is prepared to go forward with it anyway yeah so all right well you know this one starts with the little 2 years ago uh, overlay at the beginning and, and we see Caroline's meeting with Boyd who begins the conversation singing the praises of the medical breakthroughs that Rossum has made but but as I mentioned earlier what stands out is the intrusive nature of the company's reach and On the one hand, I think it's easy to say, well, come on, that's maybe pushing it a bit. I don't know, (laughs) you know. I mean, in in this world of databases and linked technology, right, And, and certainly in the medical industry, there's been a big push that information should be linked, that your doctor should have easy access to these tests that were done on you 10 years ago by, you know, Dr. A. So, you know, even though this is 2010, it's not bringing something up that's that far-fetched. And, right. and well, is- if
1: you have, like, I have a Fitbit on my hand right now. So basically, I'm, you know, putting out there, you know, all this information about me. Like, literally, what's my heart rate right now? You know, how many steps have I taken today? Uh, where am I? You know, like, that's, if you have a cell phone, you you could be fly it on a map at any time yeah
0: yeah and you know certainly caroline now does find herself in a situation from which there there doesn't seem to be a good option i mean she got away with the first one and you could argue well, she's not a very good terrorist if she keeps getting caught yes, but, yeah not great but that said she agrees to Boyd and the dollhouse's offer and and of course we know why she agrees but you know at at this point we still really don't know what the fascination is with Caroline Farrell of course we we learn a little bit more about it but this episode kind of breaks down into two parts I mean certainly one uh, of the race to stop Boyd and Rossum but the other one that I thought was really great that we get to see it and, and that's anthony and priya and their return to the fight and you know you just mentioned a second ago about things that the show really wanted to develop but didn't get a chance to i think these these side relationships would have been great and Mm -hmm. and we get a little bit of anthony and priya and we're going to get more of it next week spoiler alert but the fact that they decide to stay and fight i thought was really meaningful you know they're in the elevator they realize they can walk away from this have a life together they just can't do it and as he says you know never left a man behind not going to start now
1: right and and that is uh a really excellent scene there um but also you can think like they were it, it would be naive of them to think that they could walk away you know and they don't voice that but certainly you have to think well you know, Rossum has tabs on you no matter what. Like, you can't really get away, and you know you have to feel like Rossum will find you. So, you might as well fight him rather than living in fear and looking over your shoulder, waiting for them to come get you. Right, and there are a lot of great
0: visual scenes in this episode as well. And they find the dollhouse strewn with dead bodies of Rossum's strike team. You know, it's dark, seemingly empty, sort of a precursor to what. Again, we're going to see in the future. They enter that imprint room, and even though they're not entirely sure what the chair does, he decides to get in and follow the press me button that Tofer left behind. Right. But the other thing is, you know, I, I want to even maybe contradict what I just said, that he doesn't really know what the chair does. He does have sort of an inkling so that both of them seem to have residual memories of their experiences in the dollhouse mm-hmm. and and that's kind of key to them moving forward because he's now imprinted with a version of Topher 2.0 that doesn't know everything that transpired after that wedge which again i think is kind of cool yeah definitely but at this point you're, you're thinking why does tofer leave the wedge behind now he later fills us in that he hoped exactly what did happen would happen and that you know priya and anthony would find it and you know raise the cavalry and i guess melinda may was busy but <laughs> yeah agents of shield right. joke if you watch the show um but priya fills toe for 2.0 in on some of what's going on and that's when he remembers that secret camera he had installed, which reveals Boyd. They don't really see him e- injecting her, but they see him drop something in the trash can, which, again, I thought was a nice detail that kind of gives us some illumination to who Boyd is and, and really what you know he's hoping to do.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's still at this point where it- – and again, like I keep, I know I've mentioned this a bunch of times already, but you know, like that transition of Boyd from the hero to the supervillain is just kind of jarring. And again, I, I understand the the what the writers and the and the showrunners were were under with this, but you know, just the whole time, it's just really even as Boyd's doing. Evil things all throughout. It's just so difficult to see him like that, you know. Like I still want to pull for him to, in the end, to be a good guy somehow.
0: Yeah, and and you say jarring, and I agree with you, and I think you will agree with me when I say,
1: but it's brilliant. Oh yeah, for for those very reasons you just stated. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's just it's just tough to reconcile, you know. It's Uh,
0: oh yeah, like you said, you you still want to root for him. You still think there's hope that he can turn out to be one of the good guys but
1: not gonna happen so well he does we see he does have a final you know like he technically does a good thing at the end though it's not of his own choosing
0: yeah i got a little bit of a problem with that scene well we'll get to that in a few minutes because at this point Anthony aka Topher 2.0 and Priya decide to return Anthony to his body but with some enhanced fighting skills and I love the fact that she's a little reticent about adding anything but then of course as soon as the skills come into play okay that was pretty cool (laughs) and and she's certainly on board Um, they decide to go to Tucson and help in the fight which is of course what Topher hoped would happen now we see that scene where echoes strapped to a gurney and lowered onto a bed of needles to begin the extraction process. Oh my God. That was horrific. And it was horrific without Joss really showing us anything or Joss didn't direct this episode. So uh, without us really seeing
1: anything graphic, just we know. Yeah. I, I think they do show like the, the needles, I know they definitely show him coming out of her when they, she gets released, but, um, well, this certainly is uh, reminiscent of, you know, what is kind of like now everyone recognizes as the, the Wolverine origin story. Um, and in the. Now, have you seen the X Men movies yet? I know that I gave you yes, that. Yes, okay. most of them. All right. yeah. So, like in X 2, you know, where he is getting the adamantium. Put into his body, he's got all these needles getting shot into his back and everything like that. So, I mean, this this is kind of something. The when uh, you know a show is going this way or a movie to show the absolutely like horror of you know, in this case, I guess you know, biomedical technology gone completely awry. You can always have someone getting stuff shot into their spinal fluid as a nice horror movie type scene to really drive that home and they certainly do that here yeah now they release echo
0: who tells them to go save topher and adele and she's going to do what she's tried to do twice previously and that's bring down rossum which then you know transitions us to that race to stop boyd and rossum and you know we see the early scene of ballard adele and melly waiting to get away when boyd and topher arrive with a distressed echo. Now, at this point, we really don't know what her problem is, but, uh, but of course it's because Boyd injected her with something. Right. And we're thinking because this is the, the line we're fed that inserting Caroline was perhaps too much for her, which I think when you really think about it is kind of absurd because of everything that she has been able to absorb and assimilate on the other hand, you could argue because we've we've speculated. Well, will Caroline, as the host, if you will, try to fight back? But I don't know. I, I just think at this point we've got to
1: start asking. Well, really? Yeah, and I, be- I think the you know our our heroes here do start to suspect a little bit. You know, like when they finally get confirmation that Boyd is the baddie, it doesn't they i think i'm more shocked than they were it seems like you know yeah sure and and at this point you know, and as the
0: black suv drives up this the scene and we've seen it once before adele carrying an ar-15 or you know whatever that rifle is that she's she's got but you know of course it's it's not well it is Rossum. it's just not the rossom that that we fear at that point right. so they arrive at Tucson they're greeted by Clyde in Claire's body
1: oh my god what what a great touch yeah, again yeah well I think mean, yeah as you said like Clyde when we saw Clyde before when we first met him he is the guy fighting against Rossum inside the mainframe but this is not that Clyde right No, exactly. Which, again,
0: as a plot point, is just wonderful. Unfortunately, we're not going to get to see it explored much. But we have to wonder, well, does Claire exist anymore? Or has she been overwritten? Right? I mean, if this was Caroline Farrell's body, we, you know, we consider a lot of different possibilities. But is Claire there anymore? Well, I mean, we don't know, but it's certainly something that I you wonder
1: about. Yeah, well, at some level, at least, we assume that she's stored on a wedge someplace, but clearly, she is not at the calm at the moment. Though, um, as we see with Mellie slash November later, that clearly the dolls do not lose their innate self, you know, one hundred percent. So i would say in answer to your question that yeah claire is in there somewhere uh just not uh not not uh at the controls
0: right now you mentioned this is not the clyde that we met earlier because that was the clyde that boyd sent to the attic so that presumably he could have total control so at this point are Clyde and Boyd working together to bring about this cultural revolution or whatever the
1: hell it is that they're well, yeah, whatever the motion? Whatever their ultimate plan is here, right? Yeah. Well, and you think Clyde would, you know, it probably wouldn't take much researching to find out what happened to his body. You think that might upset him a little bit instead of him being on board with Boyd's evil plans. I I feel like if I were Clyde, I'd have a problem with that. You know, like granted, yes, my consciousness can get inside anyone's body that I really want, but you know, really, I kind of like my old body. I'm not too psyched about being in the attic, Boyd. So I got some issues with you. Well, right, but Clyde in Whiskey's
0: body, if you will, tells DeWitt that Caroline is the savior of the deserving few. Well. This sounds like the kind of rhetoric that Boyd has been spouting. So, again, now I'm, I'm questioning whether or not the Clyde that told us he was placed in the attic by Boyd is that really true? I mean, I guess it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, well, but- yeah. I mean, we that that Clyde of the mainframe would have no reason to to fabricate that story right
0: right i mean we know there are different versions of clyde because he tells us that earlier so the you know the clyde the version of clyde that that we see in the attic is the clyde that really was placed there by boyd but you know then there is the clyde that's supposed to simply follow whatever order he's given but that doesn't seem to be the clyde that's you know, now in Claire's body.
1: Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, somebody that would be totally compliant with whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess now that you, you say that, that kind of has led me to think that, well, they could create whatever kind of Clyde they wanted, right? Like Boyd could yeah. engineer and they could, you know, that wedge while nominally Clyde with like his memories. Uh, we've seen the enhancements, that Topher was able to put into uh, Priya. So, you know, why wouldn't Boyd be able to make a, you know, better Clyde? Yeah.
0: Now the other thing, maybe not as jarring as what we find out about Boyd's role in all of this. It's when we find out that Rossum wants Caroline's body, not her mind. There's something, as he says earlier on the microscopic level that, I suppose, allows her brain chemistry to operate as it does. But I think all along we assumed it was something in Caroline's brain that allowed it. And on the other hand, maybe they have it all wrong. Because, you know, as Boyd tells Topher, you figured a problem out in 15 minutes that a whole team of engineers couldn't figure out. So maybe it's just that the people Rossum has on the job aren't as good as they think they are but right. still th- that's interesting and of course it leads to the extraction scene of her uh spinal fluid yeah a spinal tap if you will so, nice nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right now uh boyd ballard tofer and melly are, are being held in that locked room <laughs> and and again boyd pretends to try to uh fry the circuitry to allow them to escape but of course we see he simply uses his <coughs> rossom key card right and and i love Topher's reaction it's like you got to show me how to do that
1: yeah yeah and does he not see these just i guess he doesn't see that he's just got a card but you know especially when he did it the second time like maybe that should have raised some suspicions i feel like on Topher's part but hey uh,
0: especially as inquisitive as tofer is that after he did it the first time, why wouldn't you look over his shoulder the second time? Right.
1: Well and and this is just the part where the the dramatic irony is just all over the place because obviously we know that Boyd's the bad guy, but none of, at this point none of the other characters know. And so while wow, something like that, you know, we pick up on and say, come on, Topher, he's got a card. Can't you see that? But obviously he, he has absolutely zero reason to suspect Boyd at all at this point, and so you know the, the whole time it's like kind of like you know when you're screaming at Romeo and Juliet, don't do it, kids. Come on, just leave the cemetery. You know, um, it's the same way we our, our minds are screaming that you know don't trust this guy, but uh, obviously uh, they can't hear our minds screaming as they're fictional characters.
0: Right, and, and I guess then this leads Boyd and Topher to enter that R and D lab. And is it simply so that Boyd can get a handle on how far the mass production is along? Because immediately Topher realizes what's going on, and they're weaponizing the tech that he invented. And as he says, it's going to allow them to print anyone, even without doll architecture installed. And, and we've certainly... Speculated that even, I guess, better than speculation, that that's where we were headed with all of this. But uh, the whole idea of mass production is it simply that Boyd wanted to see how far along they were, or is it just that Boyd knew that his engineers had hit a roadblock and he wanted to bring Topher in because he knew what Topher would do? Topher would take it as an
1: intellectual challenge. To figure out how to make this work, which is, of course, what he does. Right, and I, I think that that's it. I think you nailed it on the head with that second one that uh, you know he he brought in to get Topher to to fix what was going wrong with it. Um, you got to love where he points the the little gun at Topher and pulls the trigger. Topher's like, hey, you know, like be careful with that thing. You know, and, and like Boyd it's just like uh, you know, just how he does unthinkingly does this. Especially when you realize that he, we realize he needs Topher. I mean, what if that thing worked, right? Well, there goes his plan, you know, up in flames. Again, that transition from Boyd the good guy to Boyd the absolute evil person who doesn't even think twice about zapping Topher with the wipey gun, even even though he needs him. Careful with that axe, Eugene. Right. Oh, did I get one you didn't know? I don't know. I just said, right, I was just going. Pink
0: on. Floyd, early Pink Floyd. Ah. Yeah. Now, and, and as you said, though, I guess I have to feel because he did that, you know, point it sort of in Topher's direction, that he knew already it wasn't going to work, and that that's why he brought still, uh, you know, it's, okay. But why, why do... I do- I, just, I I know. I'm certain there's not a bullet in the chamber. Yeah. yeah well, well could be. Okay. Right. Now, another great scene is between Ballard and Mellie. You know, Melly's grappling with the fact that she's a doll. She understands that things she feels for Paul are because she was programmed to feel them. He's trying to tell her that, you know, maybe this is a new way of thinking that look i'm like you i'm a doll as well if you want to look at it that way but he says we feel what we feel and again you know we've mentioned humans on this podcast before and and that whole question of what makes a person and uh, i mean certainly battlestar galactica with the cylons explores that as well so I think it's really you know the the first few steps of really asking that question. And again, I you know you said earlier you keep saying this one point over and over, and this is one that I know I keep saying is that it would be one of those really important points that the show would get to explore down the road. Can Melly and Ballard have a real relationship? knowing what they know about themselves. I would argue that in time, yeah, they can if they're willing to open up to the idea that
1: they're just different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it certainly spice up the role playing in the bedroom and you know and everything, but uh <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. It would, as you mentioned, and you left Westworld out of that little list of things here. Which, oh, by the point. way, you have got to watch season two of Westworld, Dave. Oh my, Dave. God. Oh my uh, god, dude! God.
0: I've got eight episodes lined up on my DVR. So. Uh, you
1: got? It. I would I would watch them tonight. I'd watch them all tonight. So, but but yeah, absolutely. What what creates a person? What, what does it mean? You know, are the dolls or are these? personalities that get injected into the actives uh, does that mean that those that consciousness is that like an actual person is that you know it's uh, I, I think it's it's probably much grayer in dollhouse than it is in those other things you know like we the Cylons I think we come to see as as actual people despite them you know being all killy and everything you know the hosts in westworld i you know i think pretty much uh we we definitely see them as sentient beings but uh what if you are just say consciousness what if you are you know ones and zeros on a wedge you know and that's
0: kind of the argument i mean with the cylons and and the synths in humans and certainly you know in west world what do they call them in west world hosts hosts um they're all machines as opposed to the actives in dollhouse which start life if you will as a human being but again that fundamental question is there really a difference is a consciousness a consciousness now, Boyd tricks Topher into finishing the tech, and, and Echo bursts in, starts punching Boyd, and identifies him as the founder. And then, of course, you know Floyd, a.k.a. Claire, enters with Adele, puts a stop to the punching. But what's Boyd's plan at this point? And then when he says, you're here because you're my family, I love you guys. Yeah. I'm thinking, what? Yeah, that was a big, like, what? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, big time. But then, on further review,
0: I'm wondering, well, does he really mean it? I mean, on on the one hand, to get to this point, Boyd's got to be a brilliant man. Sure. So we know there is that aspect of him. On the other hand, there have been plenty of brilliant men and women who've gone off the deep end.
1: Yes, that's true, too.
0: And when he says this, I think our first reaction is what we just said. was like, what? But- does he mean it? Does he think he's gonna actually take this core group with him to wherever it is he's planning to go?
1: I, I don't know, but I I, I put my vote for that he does mean it. You know, why would he say that there's no We have that same question. Why would he keep these people around? There's really no need, especially once Topher uh fixes the tech for him, he doesn't need them anymore. So when he says that i love you guys you're my family well i think he
0: means it well well yeah i mean he wants to use her spinal fluid to make the vaccine against imprinting but that kind of begs the question if you control the tech well how is it going to get out into the world to wreak havoc unless you allow it to right so or even if you intend it to now again boyd feels caroline's the savior but I mean, it's only because of Rossum that the world needs a savior. So when he says, "You know, you're the world's savior," what he means is, he says earlier, "Well, you're the savior for the chosen few, not not you know, not the whole world." Right. Just
1: we're not going to let the unwashed uh, millions in on this. I think we've all come. really right from the start
0: to love melly's character Mm -hmm. and here even though she has been imprinted with you know this melly persona i love the scene when she and paul are going to shut down the mainframe and they realize it's going to be heavily guarded and suddenly she realizes you know when when they uh, acknowledge the cooling system that keeps the mainframe from overheating she says well why don't we just shut down the cooling system
1: and i love ballard he's like "Uh, "That's not a bad idea (laughs) that is and
0: then i love that line well there's no elegant way to do this and she says i hate elegant and then they just take the butt of the rifles and, and smash through i just there was something about that scene that it was so elegantly put together that I love the fact that he says that line
1: about there's no elegant way to do it. I,
0: dude, the writers did it. It was just, yeah. I, I just yeah. love that scene.
1: It is a great scene. And as you said, um, you know, Miracle Laurie, has just been awesome. I wish they had her on the show more. Um, and especially as that, as that Melly character, and really pretty much all the different characters. I think like they were all just really sweet, you know, uh individuals who we except from well maybe not the you know assassin uh personality there but uh you know all the others she's very rootable you know we definitely I don't know if that's where we definitely root for her and and want her to be okay and uh that makes this seem tough sure sure now did they use a
0: recording of Adele's voice yes to activate okay that, that's what i
1: assume but of course Um, because of course rossum has a recording of uh, adele activating november from way back when right right sure and then
0: after she and paul get physically close she's holding the gun on him and he's telling her to fight it you know who you are certainly the most heartbreaking scene in this episode arguably one of the more heartbreaking scenes in the series when she does stand down, and then kills herself, splattering her blood on Paul, yeah. much the same way that uh, Topher, you know, had the blood right. spattered on him sure. when, when she sh- shoots uh, Bennett. But uh, I mean, I mean, I, I guess this is a scene where you know, this is it. <laughs> that this character's yeah. right, right, right. There's, yeah. there's no reason to we'll, we'll go for the shock, but I, I think it really is more than simply shocking. I mean, it is shocking, but it's certainly not gratuitous. I, I guess is really what I'm trying no, to
1: say. No, not at all. And you know, there's there's got to be consequences, right? Like if no one gets hurt, like you know, we don't we don't have that buy-in. You know, like, so you don't necessarily need Game of Thrones where every week we are, you know, totally expecting our favorite characters to get killed, but in order to create that actual tension, and, you know, I know, I'm sure you and Michael have talked about this with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, there's, you, you gotta have, you know, characters suffer, and sometimes you have to have characters die in order for the the dangers that they face to be thought believable. If Like in the A-Team, if every car crash means that the guys just get out, like kind of woozily stepping away from the car, then that level of buy-in is removed, right? All right. I mean, if there are no stakes for the characters,
0: as you said, then I'm not going to feel that tension that you're trying to make me feel because I don't believe it. Right. So, All right, well, Topher tells DeWitt he realizes that he's responsible, but this is the point at which Priya and Anthony free him and Topher realizes. And again, you don't often see the creator willing to destroy his or her creation, but he realizes that this, this is so big that we need to wipe this tech from existence. Well, obviously because we know epitaph one exists,
1: right? They didn't get it all right. Well, And it is, you think, like a case of hubris that they even think that they can. Because, sure. For example, just even if you kill Boyd, well, you know, we just saw with Clyde, Boyd could be in about 20 different places right now, you know? Um, Oh, sure. So you can kill the body, you can destroy Tucson, but are you really. You know, you know, we've seen Rossum's incredible reach. it's seems like folly to think that you're actually destroying or hurting Rossum or pre- preventing them from advancing in any way just by blowing up one facility. Right. Exactly.
0: And, you know, I, I love, and, and this leads into the fight scene between Echo and Clyde, a.k.a. Claire. But, Paul is the last one to find out that Boyd is not who he thought he was. And that was kind of cool. And then you just kind of alluded to what Clyde says is that he's got 20 houses with 20 bodies just waiting for his consciousness. But I'm not sure why Echo shoots Paul in the leg. I I guess just to get him away from Boyd. But, you know, regardless, Just as Boyd's about to kill Echo, Topher shows up and wipes Boyd. Now, here here, I mentioned a problem I had with this scene earlier in the podcast. He immediately says, did I fall asleep? Now, why would he say that? You you know, I guess I always felt that that was product of the doll architecture that had been implanted, which I can't imagine he had implanted in himself who knows
1: yeah i mean uh, on a basic level i think it was just the writer's kind of just a narrative device yeah right to one convince us to show us uh, without a doubt that boyd's been turned into a doll and he's not like faking it or something like that Uh, but also just as a shout out to those lines from the earliest episodes that when you really think about we haven't heard those lines in a while now right you know sure so just kind of like a you know little little bone for the fans hey remember this stuff you know and everything
0: well i i don't know about you but I, I suspect this has happened on a number of occasions as it has with me where my wife and i are watching something on tv and one or both falls asleep <laughs> right she she wakes up. Did I fall asleep? For, For a little, little while. while. Yeah. <laughs> we see that Echo has strapped explosives to Boyd's chest, hands him a hand grenade, tells him to go into the mainframe room, and after she leaves, pull the plug. And, you know, she has some mixed feelings, I think, about leaving him to die because of their history together. But, of course, it's not a real history. so. Right. I think she understands she has to do this, but there is that, that you know just glimmer there for a second that she regrets having to do this, almost as if she feels that, well, you know, if I had a second chance or a third chance or whatever, that you know, I could bring him over to my side, but but of course that's not possible at this point. I love the visual again of Echo outrunning the explosion. Yeah. And I mean, certainly at this point, you know, you mentioned the stakes for characters. While we find it difficult to accept and believe that Eliza Dushku's character is going to die in an explosion, she's got to be pretty fast to outrun it. Of course, she does. And the editing was a little rough there at the end. Yeah, a little. We certainly see her. We see (laughs) her She's like running down
1: the hallway and everything. And all of a sudden, you see like the flames behind her. And all of a sudden, she's just like outside. <laughs> right. like, like, you don't even see her diving out of the door or anything like that. She's just like, hey, guys. And Paul immediately
0: asks her, so did we save the world? I guess we did. Yeah. Not quite. Nope. <laughs> guess again. And we, we jump forward 10 years and we see Ballard and Echo with guns amidst the Epitaph 1 apocalypse. And we have to then ask ourselves, well, what has happened to precipitate this future? How did the tech get into the world? I mean, we can understand that Topher couldn't destroy it all, that, you know, whatever. But certainly that's what we're left with at the end of this episode, which oh, it's just, I don't know. You know, I'm thinking A plus. We haven't given out an A plus in a while. This one,
1: to me, had it all. I, I liked it a lot. Uh, if, if it is certainly a plus ish, um, but I'm just going to stick with an A on this. I'm going to reserve my A. Plus. I think I gave Epitaph one an, an A plus, and so um, and I, I believe Epitaph two, if I recall, it's been a while well since I see it, but the, the, I'm, I'm, I might need to reserve my A plus for that one. But it was mm-hmm. yeah it was it was a an, a great 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 episode i think the if the it was gonna any fault I would find with it is just the you know the believability factor of trying to you know see um you know boyd as as a bad guy, but then that's also counterbalanced by uh, your man enver doing his uh, topher impression which was always just dead on it's incredible so so good um and uh so yeah i'm just gonna give it that okay
0: all right well let's hear what fred had to say in, in this week's listener feedback and i know he was under some physical duress because i believe he's traveling this week but he got us some feedback and let's hear what fred has to say
2: hi dave and wayne Fred from Italy, with some short feedback on Dollhouse Season 2, Episode 12. First off, I give you my feedback from my hotel room in Milan in Italy, using my laptop microphone instead of my regular microphone. So, it could sound a little different than usual. Second point, I appreciated that you definitely uh, are going to do the podcast about the premiere of Reverie. Okay, about Dollhouse the Hollow Man. Last episode. This is the last episode before epitaph 2. If you haven't seen epitaph 1, the ending of this episode can be quite shocking. Although we saw saw some of it already in episode 10 called The Attic. Uh, In Clyde's aka uh, Arcane's vision of the future. We already see something of Epitaph 1. Enver Kokyar did a marvelous job playing Tover once more. I think in this episode he was even better than in the previous one. I don't fully understand Clyde aka Whiskey aka Dr. Sanders role. In the episode The Attic I had the idea Clyde was trying to destroy Rossum by taking out brain capacity. In the attic. Here he is fully on the Rossum path again. I think Amy Ecker is doing a very nice job in this episode in playing a man in a woman's body. Very subtle body language for instance in the way she sits with Adele on that sofa. Three nice quotes concerning Boyd being the bad guy. Boyd is saying you're here because you're my family. I love you guys. And then Tover later is saying, whoa, whoa, boy, you're right, I'm the tin man, she is the lying, and he's pointing at Adele, and you're the head of the lollipop uh, guild, who is a traitor. And a little later, uh, Adele, go ahead and shoot, I'm sure I'll be far more talkative, with my brains splattered all over Tover. And then Tover's facial expression uh, after this remark of Adele is just gold. I really wonder if Joss Whedon was planning from the beginning of the series or somewhere somewhere along season one to have Boyd as the real big bad uh, further on in the series. Or that this just came up at the last few episodes of season two. When Melly later on said to Paul, when we were together, you made me feel like a real person. And the way she said that, I was exactly expecting what happened afterwards. Finally, of course, I like the whiskey echo, or should I say, Clyde Caroline Catflight. So, this was a short feedback from Italy. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands and looking forward, or perhaps not that much, to Epitaph 2. I think it will be a dark episode. Greets. Bye. All right. Well, you know, when he
0: says that he doesn't fully understand the Clyde, a.k.a. Whiskey, a.k.a. Dr. Saunders role, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, Fred. Was the body of claire just simply an available body or you know i i guess i mean you know why use that body i because it was there but i think because of all the different roles that this body has played is what makes it so fascinating
1: well i think also it might reveal this kind of it's it's some dark psychological stuff going on there because I we at least assume that Boyd has had some kind of physical relationship with that body and then to put Clyde's brain into it that's just that's just twisted.
0: Now he brings up Clyde in, in, in this uh, feedback and, and as we said the idea that the Clyde that we met in the attic his role and his you know, I, I guess his quest is certainly different than the Clyde we meet in Dr. Saunders' body, and they seem to be at odds, and that's because they are. I think that was established early on that, that there was a Clyde 2.0, and even, I think he says at the time, a 3.0, and it sounds like the numbers keep going higher. Fred says that, you know, he thought Amy Acker did a nice job playing a man in a woman's body. Mm-hmm. And I think that's easy to overlook. I mean, certainly she's wearing a man's suit with a tie. But, yeah, Fred, I agree with you. I mean, the expressions, the body language, uh, the way she sits with Adele, as you mentioned, that, yeah, it's just really just really wonderfully done. hmm.
1: Yeah. that's some of the things i guess those of us who aren't actors tend to you know we don't really appreciate that so much we just we if we have the buy-in that oh yeah there's a guy inside there which we totally buy into that well what are all the nuances that amy acker has to do in order for us to achieve that level of buy-in right right and then, you know, as we
0: mentioned earlier, the fight between Whiskey and Echo was great, or I guess it's really between Clyde and Echo, but just really wonderfully choreographed. And look, anytime you see a fight scene like this, I think when you have a chance to then go back and rewatch the episode and, and that scene, you're, you're looking, all right, is that really Amy Acker and Eliza Dushku or, and it was really difficult to tell. So if it's difficult to tell, you did a great job with it. Right, right. So,
1: Well, just like, you know, I I was always amazed at the fight scenes that they would have on like Orphan Black where Tatiana Maslany is fighting essentially herself. And, you know, obviously she's not actually fighting herself, but, you know, like their very, very clever use of body doubles was just incredible. Like even looking for it, you really couldn't, you know, figure it out. All right, anything you want to add that uh, you didn't bring up? Okay, so I have like three things here. Okay, so uh, first of all, Paul calls Rossum Evil Corporation, which is like that's what they call E on Mr. Right. Robot, which you don't. Well, want to no, no, but I do remember it. Yeah, so I thought, hey, Evil Corp. Yeah, yeah hey, nice. I didn't catch that. Uh, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, obviously, you know, because Mr. Robot came later, that, you know, like, so you wonder if, did they get that orb? The second one. So they have Echo hooked up to this machine with all the needles in her back. And they have this, like, wrapping over her, but it's like they didn't, like, cover up her cleavage, you know? Like, like they, they got the lower part of the breast, but, like, why couldn't they just yeah, you know, throw a couple more like what's wrong with these people yeah. uh i think we know the answer to that yeah i know we know the answer <laughs> but i'm just saying <laughs> uh and the last thing is so in, in the one scene um uh anthony and priya when they save echo anthony puts the tech in the sleeper hold and kind of knocks him out that way um uh, just last week, we did a family movie night and we watched Stand By Me again. And it, it the uh, Vern, the chubby kid, on the do you ever see Stand By Me? Oh, yeah, okay. So, Vern is the, the chubby kid. He talks about how no one gets out of the sleeper hold. I looked that up. Do you know who played the chubby kid, Vern? Who Jerry O'Connell really? All yeah, right. it's. I like I'm looking at this kid I'm like oh, that kid looks familiar and then after I saw the sleeper hold like oh okay I got to find out who that kid was it was
2: Jerry O'Connell
1: nice real life
0: husband of
1: Colonel Eve Baird <clears throat> aka right? Rebecca Romain. um so so that was really cool I, you know well just to, to when you rewatch Stand by Me and then you realize all the characters I mean Kiefer Sutherland's in it John Cusack Richard Dreyfus. Uh, obviously, River Phoenix, the cast. Oh, Will Wheaton! Will Wheaton is wow. the, the well. You know, Richard Dreyfus is the narrator, but Will Wheaton plays him as a as the kid. I was just that's just such an amazing movie. It was great. Cool. So, um, and I think that might be all I had to add there. Okay.
0: All right. Well, Fred, want to thank you as always for sending in feedback, taking the time. Hope your trip to Italy is going well. I guess maybe it's over by now,
1: but I guess we'll, Oh, oh wait, wait, wait before, all right, go ah, ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, sorry. It's, it's quite all right. Uh, the title. The episode. Oh, oh it's a poem. Who's it by? T.S. Eliot. Oh, right. The, the way it ends, the last four lines, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. The the world ends not with a bang, but a whimper. Wow. That gives me chills.
0: Yeah. And it's not yeah. because they have the air conditioning cranked. <laughs> wow. Oh, g- great one, man. I you know, I I saw the title and I'm thinking like, all right, I I I know this title's been used elsewhere on another show. I although it escapes me at the moment, but I didn't make the connection until you just said that. Wow. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I, it's 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 such a Tremendous poem about like the kind of degeneration of life and you know, uh, the humanity, um, or the lack of humanity in the world and everything, all these amazing modernist themes that it's used a lot. You know, we see it referenced a lot in in not just you know, sci fi, but in just kind of all kinds of, of movies and things like that. I think they're actually. Uh, Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now is quoting lines from The Hollow Men as Colonel Kurt so. right. and, and certainly Elliot explores that in, in a lot of his poetry yeah absolutely uh, So,
0: alright well we'll go ahead and leave it there and that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch we want to thank you for joining us love to hear what you think about anything that's going on in genre television certainly Dollhouse as we approach the end of it encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community, and if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next time to talk about Dollhouse Season 2, Episode 13, titled Epitaph 2, Return.
1: But until then... So this is actually funny, like, I don't know if you knew this one time, I actually, like Fred, I went to Italy one time and believe it or not I actually caught like the Charlie Daniels band was playing there and uh and afterwards I I actually kind of was able to I like there was like this local place that I saw Charlie Daniels there and we were hanging out and I said so you want us to keep you company fiddling as Rome burns